Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and in this episode we are going to discuss chariots and the chariot revolution. It's going to be a short little uh, module, short little piece, but in Babylon, the Middle East, we have a revolution in warfare, and that is the chariot. The chariot is a mobile artillery platform. What does that mean? Well, let's break it down. Mobile. It moves. It's attached to horses, and it moves at about the rate of a horse, 20 miles an hour. You have to remember what we talked about with settled people. Settled peoples, early settled peoples, had not yet figured out horse breeding of the kind of horses that you could ride. Nomadic peoples had, but settled peoples didn't have the need for them. These were smaller horses. They weren't good as draft animals. Oxen were better, but oxen don't run around the battlefield very fast, and they're obstinate. So if an oxen don't want to move, it doesn't move. And so while... The earliest of earliest chariots might be attached to an ox. Very, kind of very quickly, they figured out how to attach them to horses. So now we're going to need to breed horses, but again, these are not the kind of horses you can ride. They hadn't figured out how to breed those kind of horses. Those are still going to dominate Central Asia. So these are a different kind of horse. So it's mobile. Moves around the battlefield. Second thing is artillery. Artillery is any kind of weapon that attacks over a distance. Guns are artillery. Artillery is artillery. Cannon. These are also called missile weapons because they shoot what is called a missile now, we use missile meaning the big thing with the bomb at the top, but your bullet is a missile. Anything that flies, uh, a stone, if you shoot it out of a slingshot, is a missile. And so artillery means I can attack you from a distance. I don't have to hit you in hand-to-hand combat. And if you look at our picture, uh, we have the horses. We've got all the reins and the... Uh, attachments. We have a guy who's a driver and we have a guy who's shooting a bow. And you could shoot a bow or throw a spear. And that allows you to kill somebody from a distance. Three is a platform. It's literally a platform. You stand on it. That's the the key of the um, of the chariot. If you're smart, you hook yourself into it with a little belt loop. Wrap a little cord around your waist so you're not thrown off. If you're really rich, you might have suspension. If you get four wheels, you can you can really spread out. Um, but that's going to be a big chariot. But the idea is you could stand on it. And using your legs as a suspension kind of be fairly stable. 
This is a super weapon. What does that mean? A super weapon is the kind of weapons that are so powerful, they change the way you think about power. They change the way you think about war. The chariot is so powerful, it wiped everything else out. All what we had before was dudes with spears. Well, now the chariots, a bunch of chariots, 500 chariots could run around those dudes with spears and shoot them to pieces. The dudes with spears no longer matter. It's kind of like pawns on a chessboard against uh, all queens. Like, the pawns don't matter anymore. I don't care what they do. The queens are just going to wipe them out. And so... Um, so it's a super weapon. And we see this. We see this in the Bible. We see this in ancient texts. Uh, the Old Testament goes from talking about Joshua and his 7,000 men to Ahab and his 3,000 chariots. They don't care about the men anymore. The men don't matter. The chariots matter. The Battle of Kadesh is 20,000 chariots. Oh, sure, there's men with spears and stuff, and we might record that they're there, but the chariots are what matters. Real power is now in chariots. Now, the thing about superweapons, and we've seen them from time to time, cannon is a superweapon in the 1500s. Doesn't matter how many guys you had or how high your walls were in your castle, you bring up 25, 30, 40 cannon, and you blasted everything up to pieces. Machine guns and artillery pieces in World War One, Not quite super weapons, but totally changed the way. Like, it didn't matter how many men you had. You had a trench with 15 machine guns, nobody was getting past you. The dreadnought Battleships in early 1900. The same kind of thing. Like, the minute the Dreadnought launched, it made every other Navy obsolete. No other boat mattered. Because it can kill without being killed. And every army, every civilization is always looking for that. That's nuclear weapons. The ability to kill without being killed. In a way, it's now... In the 21st century, it's what drones are. Just like uh, bomber aircraft were in the 50s, in the 40s and the 50s, drones are now. I can kill you without being killed. So what's the advantage of that? Well, that's the advantage, is the ability to kill without being killed changes the dynamic of everything. Because now... It doesn't matter if you could get 10,000 men. It matters if you get 500 chariots. Because those 500 chariots are going to wipe out those 10,000 guys. So the advantage is that it completely changes the nature of power. You can kill without being killed. You dominate the battlefield. Look at our pitcher. We have our horses running over a guy. A naked man without armor or anything. So we have two horses 
pulling a chariot with two dudes on it, and underneath all that, a poor, bearded, old, naked guy. I'm going with the old part because it looks to me like his hair is a little... He's a little bald in the front. He's got hair in the back of his head, and he's got a beard, but he's kind of a little balding in the front. Maybe I'm just seeing things, but it doesn't matter. He's being run over. Done. Over. So the advantage is, if you can get the chariots, you can dominate the battlefield, which means you can dominate other cities in Mesopotamia. What's the disadvantage? Disadvantage is, it is massively expensive. Super weapons are massively expensive. Yes, I know. I can go and buy a drone at the mall. Yes. But now you have to add a 500-pound bomb to it. And you have to be able to run it on a battlefield eight to 10,000 miles away. Which means you need satellites. You need video. You need radio for communication, radio waves. You need a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, you can fly a little toy drone around. That doesn't make you dominate the battlefield. You sit in Orlando, Florida, behind a bunch of TV screens, flying a drone over Yemen or Afghanistan or Iraq or some other terrorist site somewhere in the world. And you can watch people come and go with the video cameras. And when the bad guys show up, you can bomb them from 20, 30,000 feet up, 15,000 feet up. And they can't do anything to you. They can't even shoot the drone. It's too high up. Then you have a super weapon. Because you can kill without being killed. So the disadvantage is it's massively expensive. The chariot is going to be made of bronze. So that's going to be expensive. You need to get the tin. You need to get the copper. You need to amalgamate them. You need to have those people who have skills who can put those things together and then hammer it all out. Make it work. So the chariot itself is going to be expensive. Second, you're going to need a driver. Which means you're going to have some guy who knows how to to drive horses. That's going to be expensive. So the driver's going to be expensive. Three, you're going to have to know how to use a bow which means you need training, which means you can't work, which means you have to have money in order to take the time to train so that you know how to use these weapons while on the move. It's one thing to hit something when your feet are planted on the earth. Now, move where you're jiggling and move at 20, 25 miles an hour. And still hit the thing. You need training for that. 
So it means you can't work. The only people who, who can take that time are rich people. Third, the horses are massively expensive. First of all, we don't have lots of horses. The nomads have them. We have to get them from nomads. We have to learn how to breed these horses. We have to do various things. And the horses need grazing land. That means they need land that you can't farm. Now, if you're a small farmer, that doesn't work. You're a small farmer with your 15 to 20 acres. You can't put a couple horses on that. They need the land. And you need to grow something that you can sell. And you can't have just one horse or two horses. You have to have replacements. You have to have training. You have to have you have to hire people. You have to get all the fasteners. You have to train the horses. You gotta hire the breeders. Like this is a massive change in expense. Before all I needed was a dude with a stick with a sharp pointy end. War was cheap. Now it was expensive to get good soldiers, people who really knew how to fight. But I could always find some dudes with pointy sticks. I could round up a posse. No problem. Now I've got a problem. I need to round up chariots. No, we need an industry to create chariots. So the advantage is, is we completely change the battlefield. We dominate the battlefield. The disadvantage is very few people can afford it. Only the rich matter in society now. Poor people don't matter. Because poor people don't have military significance anymore. They get wiped out. Their job on the battlefield is to get killed. But to get killed slower than the other guys, dudes. Because the moment you've killed most of their infantry, their dudes with sticks... And then you could turn your chariots on the, the flanks, the rear of the other guy's chariots. Those guys are going to surrender. Why? Because they're rich people and they don't want to die. Remember, these are not guys who want to fight to the death. That's ridiculous. I'm a rich dude. My life is awesome. I've got a harem of, of hot slave girls. I've got a hot wife. I've got kids who I've got to leave money and an heir to, I am a runner of my society. If I get dead, I get none of that. So I go, wait, 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 don't kill me. I will pay you. Or my family at least will pay you to get me back. So rich people survive the battlefield. Well, poor people get wiped out on it. So again, we're back to economic how economic uh, inequality shows up on the battlefield. So the disadvantage is it's massively expensive, which means you now need a society that can support it. And what happens? What happens is the Near East gets divided into three parts because there's only three parts rich enough to support it. So only the rich matter. Only the rich matter in the society that can build the chariots. And then only the rich, only the richest societies matter. So what we get is the Middle East divided between three peoples. Babylon, 
which we're in the middle of, or we talked about, but this is an addendum to that, but Babylon. Why? Because Babylon dominated trade in Mesopotamia, the two rivers. It's the biggest city by far. It's making money by buying and selling of goods, by being the hub of, it's the New York. It's making the most stuff, and it's making the most money selling that stuff. So it dominates Mesopotamia. It's just so huge. It can absorb economically the places around it, turn that into a military advantage of having many more uh, chariots that then they dominate the other cities around them. So they Mes- Mesopotamia, the two rivers, get dominated by Babylon. Okay. Then there's Egypt. Well, Egypt's got the Nile River, the richest river in the world. Makes sense. So this will be, when we talk about Egypt, this will be New Kingdom Egypt. But Egypt gets Egypt, it gets the Sinai, and it will dominate the, what we call the Levant, L-E-V-A-N-T, well, Palestine, Lebanon, and Syria, um, which are basically the highways that lead into Egypt. Well, if you're the Egyptians, you don't want other people owning that. So this kind of borderland between Mesopotamia and Egypt itself, where Israel today is, Lebanon is, and Syria are, is uh, a war zone between Mesopotamia and Egypt. But Egypt, since it's closer, usually runs it for a little while until, well, we'll talk about the Assyrians and the Persians and whatnot. But Egypt has plenty of money. Egypt cannot run out of money. It's got the Nile River, the richest river in the world. It makes more food than anybody else. So it turns that into money. Money gets turned into chariots. Chariots get turned into um, power. The third are the Hittites. Now, the Hittites are in the north. They are, they are in the mountains. They are in Turkey today. They are in Asia Minor. They are in what's called Anatolia. They are the mountains. They're the mountain folk. They're the hillbillies. Now you go, wait a minute. How do they get to be so powerful? Well, they have the minerals. See, what the Tigris, Euphrates, and the Nile do, what big rivers do, is wash away all the minerals to create a flood zone. They flood, they erode, they wash all those minerals away. Now that creates wonderful land for farms. But it also means that land is terrible for mining because all the minerals got washed away. This is why the seas are salty, by the way. All of that erosion of that mineral is why the seas are salty. So what the Hittites do through luck, but they happen to own the mountains that create the copper and the tin that the other civilizations need to make their stuff, including chariots. And so the Hittites are able, they're kind of like Saudi Arabia. They're able to get the price cheap. Saudi Arabian gasoline is like 50 cents a gallon or whatever it is. It's cheap. Why is it cheap? Because they keep what they need, they pump out of the ground what they need, and then they sell all the extra, which means their price is completely subsidized because other people are buying their stuff. And so the Hittites do the same thing. They're perfectly happy to sell copper and tin to other civilizations 
to make the money, but they're also keeping the copper and tin they need. And so they're, they're able, to, even though they're poorer than the Egyptians and the Mesopotamians, they're able to compete because their cost of keeping up with the Joneses is less. It's subsidized. So we have this, this interesting economic military thing where we, the Near East gets divided between three big empires. The Hittites in the north in what is today Turkey. Babylon in Mesopotamia and Egypt. Now, what's interesting is, more or less, this is the dynamic for the next eight, uh, two, three, four, four thousand years. That you have a strong Egypt, a strong Asia Minor, and a strong um, Mesopotamia. Now, when Mesopotamia isn't strong, that strength moves a little bit to the right, a little bit to the east, to Iran. So when Babylon's not strong or Baghdad's not strong, Iran usually is. That's what's going on right now in 2017. Egypt has the people, it has the Nile, it has the wealth. It is always going to be important. And then you have Asia Minor, which has the Hittites, Later on, the Greeks. Later on, the Byzantines, the Romans and the Byzantines. And later on, um, the Turks. There is always a major powerhouse based on the Anatolian Peninsula. And so you have this tri triangle of economic and military power. And everybody else in the middle is stuck in the middle. The people in Syria, in Lebanon, in Palestine slash Israel are afraid of what will happen when the one or, one or two of these big guys go to war against each other. This is how Jerusalem gets sacked in 585 by Nebuchadnezzar. He's on his way to go attack the Egyptians. The Assyrian Empire will develop in this borderland between the Hittites and Babylon when both are weak during the Bronze Age collapse. And it will it's the same place ISIS will develop, this kind of northern Syria, eastern Iraq area, the northern Tigris, because it's the middle of nowhere. And so the Assyrians are able to develop and bum rush the other civilizations and take them all over. Um, the Turks in 1517 will conquer Egypt and in 1532 conquer Baghdad, uh, Baghdad to dominate the Middle East for the next 300 years. So we see this over and over and over again. The result of chariots is that only the rich people matter in a society because they are now the army. They're the important part of the army. Because they're the only people who can afford the chariots. Now... If you think about it, that's bad for most people. But it's also good because if you can make money, if you can figure out how to have just enough money to buy yourself a chariot and the horses and the land to support the horses, what have you done? You've made yourself important. Now, 
Is that easy to do? No, it's incredibly hard to do. There's very little social mobility, but chariots allow for it. If you could get the money and you can buy yourself the chariot and you can show up at the battle with training and be militarily important, you now matter. Because you're one of the few and the king needs you. And so only rich people matter, which means only rich societies matter. So if you're a dinky little city, if you're Jerusalem, you're in trouble. Like the, the king of Israel, the Israelites, can put together 3,000 chariots. That's nice. That's good. That's better than most cities in Phoenicia, right to the north. That's a good-sized army. That's powerful. Israel matters except when it gets invaded by Egypt, who have 25,000 chariots. So suddenly 3,000 chariots doesn't mean anything. It's a, it's, a, it's a speed bump. When Nebuchadnezzar shows up with 30,000 chariots and another 20,000 men and tears down the walls of Jerusalem, there is nothing Judea, Israel, could do. Nothing. So what chariots did was turn the world into big fish and little fish. And the big fish, the big three, the big whales will fight among each other and pay, you know, some attention to the little fish. And the little fish have to always be worried about what the big whales are doing because at any point those big whales can turn around and eat them. And there's very little they can do to stop them. So, this is our little addendum on chariots, how they changed society, how they changed war, how they changed the Middle East, the politics of the Middle East. They changed everything. And so, they allow for large empires, which we hadn't really seen before. They allow movement, control. Um, Ramses II, R-A-M-S-E-S II, the greatest king of New Kingdom Egypt, the most famous of them all. He fights the Battle of Kadesh, K-A-D-E-S-H, 800 miles away in northern Syria on the border with the Hittites. He can't get there without wheeled vehicles, without chariots. Now, it took him a long time to get there. He had to cross two deserts to get there. But he went and he did it. That meant he controlled, or at least was allied with, everybody in between on that 800-mile journey. That when he showed up, they were like, yeah, Ramses. And he's like, well, I'm going to keep going north. And they're like, you go, man. We're allies. We're with you. You can't do that if you don't have mobility, if you can't get to those places. And the chariot allowed that. So the chariot allows for mobility. The chariot allows for empires. The chariots changed everything. Thank you.